Welcome to the PreparedX podcast, your complete source for crisis, emergency, business continuity and security preparedness interviews, news, and much more. Now, your host, he creates chaos for a living, Rob Burton. Hello, and welcome to episode 119 of the PreparedX podcast. I'm your host, Rob Burton. And just before we get started, I want to let you know that this episode is brought to you by the Center of Excellence for Crisis Management Professionals, ICMC, the International Crisis Management Conference. And just to let you know that membership is only $99 for the year. You get access to a lot of information as well as discounts, monthly webinars, and of course, discounts on our annual uh, conference, which is coming up uh, actually next week now. So you've probably missed out uh, this year, but uh, look out for information uh, next year. Okay, on to the introduction for this uh, episode. Uh, in the arena of international affairs, of course, there's a lot of responsibility as it relates to protecting people and assets overseas. And with the geopolitical climate as it is, um, folks are out there in the field managing day-to-day um, -day operations. And we have a guest today who's doing that and is in the hot seat. Joining us is Ruben Hornveld. Welcome, Ruben. Thanks for having me, Rob. Yeah, no problem. Ruben is a seasoned expert within the field and uh, is challenged on a day-to-day -day basis from a geopolitical crisis standpoint and often has to respond and manage daily, of course, lives and uh, assets out in the field. So we're, we're pleased to have him here with us today. Ruben, before we get going, could you provide a little background for our um, listeners today, please? Yeah, sure, Rob. Um, so yeah, like you, I uh, I started uh, in the military um, when I was uh, just turned nineteen. Um, so yeah, I started at the at the bottom. Uh, I moved up through the NCO ranks uh, up to uh, I was a staff sergeant. Then I got commissioned, or as my fellow NCOs would jokingly say, then they removed my spine. Um, <laughs> um, anyway, so but when I was in the military, uh, I had the opportunity also to uh, to get my degree in communications and media studies with a, a focus on crisis communications. Um, and as a result, in the last two and a half years of my military career, I served as a public affairs uh, officer and a spokesperson. Uh, and I really gained some valuable crisis communication experience during those years. Um, yeah, other valuable skills I gained in the military, and Rob, I think you can attest to that, is uh, leadership under extreme conditions, uh, the ability to adapt to rapidly changing conditions, planning, uh, and the seemingly never-ending exercises and rehearsals. Yep. Um, but those are like skills which uh, really come uh, into uh, you know a lot of fruitful like uh, you know applications in my current job. Um, yeah, so uh, I did two deployments to Afghanistan in 2007, 2009. Um, I left the military, and uh, after I left the military, I worked uh, for the last 13 years uh, as a security and crisis manager uh, all over the globe, basically, uh, uh, with a focus on high-risk context. Um, I was lucky to get exposure in working across a lot of industries and almost in 30 countries in total, um, implementing smaller projects, but also longer um postings in what I euphemistically always like to call the honeymoon locations, such yeah. as, uh, <laughs> yeah. Afghanistan, Iraq, yeah. worked in Syria and Nigeria, and currently I'm in uh, Somalia. Um, so I'm working right now uh, for the German Development Corporation in Somalia, uh, where we as a security team were uh, responsible to support the uh, safety and security of the G German development programs throughout the country. And that's a very dynamic uh, environment. Um, so gained a lot of uh, crisis management experience throughout my career, uh, often the hard way. And uh, yeah, 
I'm happy to be here today and that's uh great hope that sort of sums it up yeah no it does perfect and uh you know i can concur with your your skills there from the military and bringing it over to this side of the fence so to speak so uh, uh again i know you're an active member at icmc as well so we appreciate that and uh okay let's jump in then here to some of these questions uh recently the sudan crisis grabbed the headlines could you begin uh to give an idea how that had an effect on you personally and of course working in somalia which is also of course a high-risk country yeah sure so for us yeah obviously rang home uh, immediately because we have uh, pro programs in sudan as well and we have a security yeah. team uh, and i know the guys uh, closely or at least one of them i know them i know them very well and they were obviously directly involved um but more so also from a um, sort of like um preparedness uh, point of view i mean for us sudan was at that time rated internally as a medium risk country even with the you know where we allowed to, to a certain extent dependence um and uh, we as uh, in somalia we were rated as high very high so when things unfolded like that in sudan um we were like really thinking like um, imagine how a similar escalation could actually impact us where you know the the stakes are already much higher um at the same time, we also, uh, the, the Ministry of Foreign Affairs um, was rightly concerned and started to approach us to, uh, to do an immediate review. So we had to closely look at our internal uh, procedures um, and obviously came across a few glitches uh, while we were doing that. But uh, oh. that's always the purpose of uh, preparing. Um, and then we, we uh, started as a team to watch the developments uh, up close and try to gain as much lessons learned as possible, which we could potentially then transfer to our situation here in, uh, in Somalia. So that's basically it, and there was a lot of uh, a lot of lessons learned, uh, which we probably will discuss in further detail later. But uh, a lot of things we br brought to our situation from the Sudan developments. Sure, yeah, it's, it seems like when these conflicts come up, and obviously they, you know, they raise their ugly heads at, at, at any moment in time. And uh, um, you know, we, we often get a phone call asking us to run a geopolitical exercise, you know, based on a, you know, something happening somewhere in the world. And of course, you know, many organizations are, are doing a lot of uh, work in the background to prepare for this. So, looking at the escalation of the crisis, then what immediate developments did you notice, uh, and how did they relate to your own situation there in Somalia? Yeah. So I think one of the main things which I unfortunately see often in a in a crisis, and this doesn't didn't so much apply to our internal, um, uh, what you call it, situation of our our organization, but in general when we look at all the information coming out of Sudan and how international organizations handle the situation, um, I think what we see is, a, is sort of a what they call a, a lack of prudent overreaction. So organizations waiting too long with the evacuation of non-essential staff just sitting on the fence thinking ah, it's probably not that bad or you know missing certain indicators um and and then getting caught out and just having all of a sudden a huge amount of people still in country and and uh, airspace is closed and uh, the borders are closed and then you really have a problem i think especially when you have limited evacuation routes um i always um you know really much in favor of say rather just temporarily move people to another location and then you know, if it turns out after two weeks that it wasn't that bad, then at least you you know you don't have a major problem. But having people you know in country and just uh, being caught off guard that uh, that's uh, that's a really bad situation. So that lack of prudent overreaction, or you know, better safe than sorry, I think that is a big big takeaway yeah. from uh, many of these uh, crises. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so what are the other major challenges then? Uh, you know, that you saw the organisations uh, faced uh, during the crisis. And how should others, you know, other entities prepare to navigate through them? Yeah, I think what's very interesting of uh, from the Sudan crisis, and 
um, that it basically took much, much longer than uh, we normally used to in such a crisis. I mean, maybe also because we have maybe um, the cause of this uh, as well as crisis managers with our exercises, which normally take a morning. Uh, yes, we think right. that we can wrap up these crises very, uh, very yeah. quickly, but it's, that's often not the case. I mean, uh, you saw now with Sudan, it's really uh, was obvious that this this take took a long long time uh, which immediately caused major problems with uh, emergency stocks with people falling sick because of lack of hygiene and stuff like that but in general i mean it's not just uh, for a situation like this but uh, no very good example i always think is like for instance the, uh, the kidnap case with uh, two two staff of the the what you call it the the, the danish the mining group or the danish refugee council here in somalia yeah, it took three months. I mean, uh, if you are as a uh, as an organization need to handle a, a kidnap case, a high level kidnap case, which involves the government and uh, multiple nationalities, that puts another, a lot of pressure on, the, on your crisis team and on your crisis preparedness in general, and trying to get keep the rest of the um, your normal duties going as well. Um, but yeah, and I think especially also for uh, for uh, for Sudan, the crisis in Sudan, the fact that it took so long um, is really a big takeaway. I mean, it immediately impacts on emergency stocks, uh, petrol to keep uh, to keep generators running. Um, you know, how are we going to do it when the, actually the power goes down, which is, right. in the, you know, in East Africa, uh, you know, very common issue. Uh, what happens? Well, how are we going to handle it if the Internet goes down? Um, also, the cash, the availability of cash, that's a big problem. You know, the, the, the prices of services, security services or tickets all of a sudden go through the roof and then, no, you you might get uh, caught out with having not enough cash um, when at hand to actually buy tickets for five people or ten people. So those are like major uh, takeaways. Um, also, I think uh, what's an interesting one which we took uh, took out of this situation as well is the sort of like for us the horizon scanning is very important. We have a good team on the ground here with a lot of national staff as well, just have good grassroots information about what's going on. Mm-hmm. But what if we what if we go dark? What if all of a sudden the internet doesn't work and the, our regional office or the, our headquarters need to take over? Do they have access to these very good quality information sources? Um, the answer is actually no. So we need to find a, a solution to, to also ensure that those kind of more like, uh, you know, not very obvious things are, are taken care of. It's business continuity. So yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. keeping the comms going. Yep, yep. Um, so, uh, you know, in terms of the diplomatic support um, to the during the uh, Sudan crisis, what what did what did that look like? What when you were you know re- reviewing this and keeping an eye on this, what did that look like to you? Yeah. Again, you know, just a, a quick disclaimer: not for our organization. I mean, sure. we're, we're, we're a federal uh, agency, so luckily we have the backing of the German government. Uh, mm-hmm. So that's. Uh, that is much easier, um, but in in this case, uh, with regards to uh, a lot of other organizations, people depend too much on the uh, support from uh, embassies. Um, yeah. They think that oh, there's a crisis, the cavalry the cavalry will come charging over the, over the horizon, Navy SEALs will come down from helicopters, and etc. Yeah. It's not going to happen, um, especially when you saw in Sudan, a lot of embassies were actually themselves affected. They That's were right. uh, looted, they were attacked, uh, ambassadors were on the run. Uh, embassy convoys were getting uh, robbed and uh, they were left stranded on the side of the road. And this is not uncommon. I mean, we saw the same thing in Afghanistan happening um, in during the fall of uh, Kabul, where a lot of embassies were all of a sudden, you know, the gates were just left open and yeah. um, there was no support because the, all the, the staff were just um, on, you know, the first flight out. But as I was involved in a, an evacuation or at least an escalating security situation in the Central African Republic uh, a few years ago, same situation there. It's not 
happening. And what people don't understand, I think that if there's a do not travel advice in place for certain countries, they think that, oh, there's just a government advising me that it's not a good idea to go there. Right. It, actually means, it actually means there's no support structure in place that if right. something goes wrong, you're on your own. Nobody will be there too. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So I think that is a very big uh, takeaway when it comes to diplomatic support or support from embassies in uh, these kind of situations. Yeah, and, and you better check your KRE policy to see what's covered and who's coming, uh, who is coming over the horizon, so to speak. Yeah, I remember being in Afghanistan doing private contractor work just after I've left the military. And uh, here I was barricading myself in this one bedroom apartment each night, knowing having an escape route out the window, across a wall, around the back of this building and that was my only you know only way out really and i just remember thinking to myself how how alone i was and prior to that only only four months prior to that i was in the british army and i had the backing of the british army uh, and it's funny I, I visited the british embassy on the outskirts of uh, kabul at the time and i remember you know my my former colleagues driving in uh in their you know unmarked suvs um you know fully loaded ready to go kind of you know wave, waving at me and then you know i managed to get a cup of tea just inside the door with them but that was that was about it so it felt it felt very lonely and that's what uh that's what these corporations and non-profits or whatever whatever's whoever's operating in those environments uh, are going to be faced with um, and that's why planning is is so essential yeah absolutely um, in case of a such uh, of an impact of a, a global, oh, sorry, a crisis, a geopolitical crisis affecting a wider, you know, area within the country, let's say a whole country, what are the key takeaways uh, should be taken into account? Of course, you know, we see some of these conflicts flaring up, you know, regionally or even within a city. Uh, what about if it goes, you know, wider than that? It's it, that's the what I think what's very interesting again with Sudan is that uh, basically the whole country was all of a sudden uh, not safe. So even getting to like an emergency point of, for evacuation, that's, which was a military airbase, uh, you know, not even that far from uh, from from the capital, is already was a problem. Uh, people trying to reach borders, which uh, they get there and the border crossings are shut down, or there's no immigration personnel or major traffic jams. Those are things which uh, which I think are very uh, interesting things which we often don't plan for. We think like, okay, you know, there's an attack on a, you know, in a high risk country on a certain compound and we have to get out and then we have to evacuate our staff. Um, those are like scenarios which are relatively easy to handle. But what if there's a really total breakdown of the law and order and support structures within the country that is uh, causing a major, uh, major issue? I think also, um, I think for me personally as a major, um, and I, 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 this is also something I always try to hammer home, is I think always with these kind of situation, uh, when we talk about evacuations, there's a hyper focus on ex on expats, on international personnel. Well, what about your national staff? Sure. You know, um, these people are left behind and they're often at more risk than uh, than international yeah. staff because they're often not in, uh, you know, they're in the community, they're not well protected. Um, a very good example was uh, Afghanistan. Um, I had a few colleagues, former colleagues uh, from Afghanistan reaching out to me with a cry for help. Um, couldn't get to the airport, couldn't get out of the country, stuck with their families. And yeah, this, those are really situations uh, which are dire. Um, and I think that is often where uh, organizations fall, fall short, that they don't plan you know, properly how to support their national staff in a situation like that. Um, and sort of what ties in with that is you already mentioned it uh, briefly, and it sort of like moves over from crisis management towards business uh, continuity. Um, you know, after the first life-saving uh, crisis response, then the broader business impact is really becoming a challenge. So mm -hmm. how are we going to pay, for instance, the salaries of the national colleagues 
um, which are stuck there for weeks and the, while the banking system has collapsed. Um, these people also need to survive. Uh, they're often, you know, doing a lot of work on the on in the background to ensure that the assets are taking care of the organization and keeping things afloat and, and safe. And then you can't pay them. Um, mm -hmm. You know, how do you do that? Or what we had in the past as well, uh, we had, I had it during a job in Syria. What do we need to do? Or how are we going to handle it if we have to abandon a lot of very expensive assets? Um, nobody to look after it. And we potentially um, can't return. How, how are we going to do that? And yeah, the other one, you know, ties in with the business continuity is um, leaving, you know, any confidential information around, uh, for instance, sure. personal data, and it's unprotected. How you handle that? That's a very tricky one. I, you know, I can clearly remember a case we had in Afghanistan. Um, our uh, compound got attacked in uh, in Kabul, and one of the uh, buildings which was in the blast range was our storage facility, uh, which had boxes full of. Um, papers with uh, all like uh, performance evaluations of national staff and other stuff, invoices for addresses, stuff, which we, yeah. addresses, all stuff we had to keep on file because of, uh, you know, the, uh, what you call it, audit requirements. Uh, we we there and all that stuff was just flying around the compound um, and lying around and for everybody to see. Yeah. Um, and luckily in this case, uh, the, the, the Taliban didn't take over the compound, but if they would have, they would have had a big list of people who sure. were, Know, collaborating with the enemy and they would have potentially put them at risk. So how do you do that? How do you do it if you have to abandon your office and you have all this stuff lying around and, and can you actually sort of take care of that? So that business continuity, you really quickly get into an area situation where you move from that, you know, that immediate crisis response to business continuity and then how well prepared are you then? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All great points. Yeah, I, I, a number of those came up in a a recent geopolitical exercise we did, it was kind of a follow-on from what's going on, of course, in Ukraine and Russia. Um, and, you know, they'd already pulled um, a number of um, expats out, of course, and then as, as well made the decision, this company, to pull out uh, their, their local workforce as well. But then but then it's like, okay, how many family members do we bring along, right? So how how far extended? And then and then it's the ownership of that workforce then wherever you're going to rehouse them. So from a, from a, obviously from a cost standpoint. So all those decisions can be certainly discussed up front. And of course, the different dynamics change um, as the environment changes but it's certainly worth having those discussions up front from a decision making process absolutely yeah okay can you share a personal story or an anecdote uh, from a similar crisis that uh, particularly impacted you um, which may help our listeners understand um, the human dimension of such obviously you know um, you know geopolitical type events sure sure um i think what is for me what's always sticks with me are the things which didn't go that well and then you because they're obviously good learning points um so a story which always sticks with me is like we had we were in Kabul we were operating there um you know the the situation was towards uh, i think it was 2018 2019 situation was quite bad already um we had a, obviously a good uh, crisis management plan in place. Uh, it was quite detailed about how, what we would do in case of uh, different scenarios. So I, th I thought we had uh, everything tied down there pretty well. Um, we had a country director there who was had been in Afghanistan for a long time. She, uh, she had a lot of experience there um, and was not really keen on um, you know, uh, listening in general to advice, but also uh, just going over the crisis management plan or even, you know, the, the tabletop exercises we we ran a few times. She was never available. So it was just a security team. It was very siloed um, without, mm. you know, her being there. Then um, 
things did go wrong and uh, we had uh, we had a major attack on our compound and um so we what we do we refer to the crisis management uh, plan so crisis management team got activated i was a crisis coordinator um and one of the first discussions like okay what is the you know the situation was under control but the basically the uh what you call it facility was uh although still safe was not uh, very suitable to stay for a longer period of time so we had a plan in place and we uh we had our uh you know follow-up plan and she was adamant that we had to do it you know differently she wanted to go somewhere else and she wanted to immediately get out of country well you know we actually recommended let's just rather bunker down and wait until things die down and um, yeah, that's uh, that that didn't happen. So this is also a takeaway from Sudan. It's often better to stay safer to stay where you are, sure. um, than just starting to go moving around. So um, unfortunately, the crisis manager, um, you know, she, uh, he was, uh, you know, he, he went with the advice of the or like the, actually the wishes of the country director, and basically uh, we had to get out on very short notice. It was the total improvisation and it turned out to into, into a total disaster like we expected um, up to the point that we almost got robbed out of our armored vehicles, et cetera, et cetera. So what sticks with me uh, today is with in this kind of situation, firstly, um, and I think, you know, this is one of the things you uh, often come across with your uh, with prepared, uh, preparedness exercise and so on. You know, the crisis manager has to like really show strong leadership. Sure. And, you know, like we used to from the military, there are certain situations when you can have like a lot of input from your team and it's often very valuable, but there's also a situation where they just need to shut up and listen and do, uh, you know, what they've been told. Right. I mean, yeah. and when you're on the fire, you can't have a, like a group discussion. It should be go left or right or whatever. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But this, in this, those situations, you know, it requires very strong leadership from a crisis manager to sometimes just, you know, just stick with the plan or overrule somebody who's like very emotive and uh, very, you know, vocal. And uh, yeah, it's not easy. And secondly, also, you know, I'm not a huge fan of extremely detailed uh, plans, security nope. for yep. crisis management plans, yep. but the planning in general is very important. Process. So rather yep. just stick with it, what you, you know, in a, when it was still, um, the situation was normal and quiet, when you had time to go over things, just rather stick with these sort of guidelines you set than just throw the plan, you know, overboard and just do something on the fly, which is uh, it's never a good idea. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Uh, great advice. Appreciate you sharing that. Uh, looking back at the situation, how has it changed your perspective on geopolitics, crisis management, and, of course, the impact on human life? Uh, is there anything that you would do differently if you're faced with a similar situation, which, of course, you may be at any moment's notice in your current role, Ruben? Sure. Yeah. yeah, there's a lot of takeaways that we already went over, um, a lot of small things you can prepare for uh, better, I think. But I think what's a big takeaway from the Sudan crisis is that we really actually should prepare for the worst case scenario. So we often don't do that. We sort of review it, but it's not it's not very likely. So just rather focus on the more likely scenarios and leave that worst case scenario uh, to the side. But I think um, if you want to do it properly, you want to be properly prepared and have your uh, all your ducks in a row when it comes to crisis management planning and preparedness. I think you know that it is crucial that you also look at these worst case or black swan scenarios, which could completely you know um, create a situation of chaos and and a, and a full blown crisis like you have in in Sudan. Things which you didn't even expect it. That uh, yeah, it's it's it proves again with uh, you know with Sudan. We saw it in Afghanistan. Um, nobody expects it, but it can absolutely happen. So prepare for the worst case scenario. Yeah, yeah, that's a great one. It's funny. We just uh, you know, running this earthquake exercise. It was part two of uh, of this exercise. Part one happened um, back in February, 
and we started the planning back in December um, and we had a couple of meetings uh, and um, you know, not many people attended those meetings. And then Turkey, the Turkey earthquake and the Syria earthquake happened. And it's interesting, the next planning meeting, everyone showed up. It brought yeah. it really into focus. Really interesting how, you know, it's unfortunate that, um, you know, that that happens. But, uh, um, well, Ruben, thank you very much for your time today. I know, I know you're a busy man out there and we appreciate you joining us. The connection was good. No storms uh, broke our connection, which is good. Um, if folks want to get a hold of you, Ruben, how can they contact you? Uh, I know we're going to share your, your LinkedIn profile here. What's the best way to contact you? Well, actually, LinkedIn, absolutely. Just uh, reach out to me on LinkedIn, uh, shoot me a DM or just a connection request and, yeah, get in touch. Happy Wonderful. Great. Well, again, thanks for your time today. Appreciate it. Pleasure, Rob. Thanks. Yep. Okay, that wraps up episode 119 of the PreparedX podcast. We encourage you to rate us on iTunes or wherever else you're listening to this. Leave a comment if you're listening to this via the website. Let us know. And until next time, be safe and have a productive day. Mm -hmm.